Our scripture reading today comes from Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, Do not invite your friends, your brother or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The word of the Lord. We've been uh, doing a tour of the Gospels lately and um, kind of trying to take snapshots and ask the question, why? Why this Gospel? Why is Matthew's Gospel part of God's Word to us? What, why is Mark's Gospel something that our God wants us to know? And today, the same question about Luke's Gospel. Luke's gospel is written for people who are asking, should I go on not believing this? Or, if I do believe, but have some questions, should I go on believing? Luke's gospel is written for people who are having a crisis moment, a crisis of belief or unbelief. A crisis that says, there are some things about this Christian message that's going around my world that make it seem really hard for me to believe and take seriously. There there are some paradoxes, some contradictions, some tensions in here that I just can't get over. And, And does that mean I should just keep not believing because this thing is totally incoherent, will never make sense? Or is it something I should keep on believing even though parts of it 
are so hard to make sense of. So Luke's gospel just kind of hits you straight on with the paradoxes of Christianity, the things that make it hard to understand. How can all this fit together? Questions like, hey, nobody really wants to suffer much, but in the gospel it seems like the closer you get to God, the more you suffer. I mean, the closest, the closest anybody ever walked with God was Jesus, and he suffered more than anybody else. Why would I ever want to sign up for this? Jesus is supposed to be the fulfillment of everything God was doing, and so people who have been waiting for this kind of religious comfort and, and the fulfillment of the Old Testament, they seem to have run the furthest away from Jesus. Why do so many people reject Jesus if Jesus is the answer to everything? And why is it that Jesus seems to flip outside and inside totally on their heads? Why is it the people that that should be the the insiders, the religious do-gooders? Jesus says they're the furthest away from what God is doing in the world. And the people who don't seem to have a very good religious success rate are flocking to him. Why is that? Those are the kinds of questions that just run throughout Luke's gospel. And the passage that Stacy read for us this morning from Luke 14 just kind of distills all those questions down into one snapshot for us. It lets us zoom in and, and hear the real reason why Jesus is rejected, why he becomes the ultimate outsider drawing other outsiders to himself why he suffers so much humiliation and loss and pain? And the answer is because he just won't stop challenging the idols that we worship. A lot depends on whether you're the hunter or the baby bear, right? If you're telling me a story about being deep in the woods and hearing the roar of a mama grizzly bear, hearing that blood-curdling scream come out of her lungs and seeing her take off at full speed, running straight toward the hunter with the gun in his hand. Is this a happy story or not? Well, a whole lot depends on whether you're the hunter or the baby bear. If you're the hunter, you're thinking, oh, good golly, I'm about to die. And if you're the baby bear, you're like, mama. All's good. Mama's here. She's strong. I'm safe. I'm happy. That guy over there looks kind of scared. I don't know what his deal is. (laughs) A lot depends on where you stand in that story. Jesus is like that. If you love your idols 
and you don't want them to be taken away, and you hear his voice, it sounds like it's horrifying. It's blood-curdling. It sounds like he's about to rip your world to shreds, and you will do anything you can to get away from that. But if he has given you birth, if he has given you a new kind of life, and you understand the idols he's ripping out of my heart were killing me. I was a slave to things that are not worthy of my worship. And it may hurt for him to rip them out, but it is so good. The same voice that could strike us with terror and make us reject Jesus can also draw us to him. Why? He's doing one thing. He is constantly challenging the idols that we worship. And how we receive that depends on where we stand in the story. What are the idols that Jesus knows have a grip on our hearts and he comes to just shred them to pieces? What are they? The first one is an idol called up. Okay, you and I think idolatry is stupid. You know, there's this place I visited in Israel a couple years ago where you're out on this vast plateau overlooking the Dead Sea and and this huge fortress kind of built up on a hilltop safe place and and in the safest room the strongest area of the fortress is a place where worship was carried out and there sits an idol and I would love to tell you that it was this beautiful sculpted glorious figure gold rippling muscles portraying might It was just a big block of rock, y'all. No carving, ever. It wasn't that the carving was washed away by centuries of erosion. No. From the beginning, this idol was just a rectangle of stone. And we can look at that and we could go, how stupid do people have to be to worship a rectangle of rock? Nobody has ever been that stupid. Not even the people who set up that rectangle of rock. They weren't stupid. They thought just like you and I do. I want to find a way to make life work on my own terms. And I will do anything I have to do to make life work on my own terms. And if that thing is worshiping a rectangle of rock, I will do it. Because here's what I want even more. I want life on my terms. Now, you and I don't worship rectangles of rock. We worship different idols. One of them is this idol called up that says, I will be first. And I will have an explanation for why I was second. Because guy in first was cheating. And if I'm third, at least I was before you. In our house, second is first loser. That's what we call it when we're playing a board game, right? 
I will be first and I will call you first loser because you're second and I will do whatever it takes for other people to think highly of me, to look at me and smell success. I will do whatever it takes to be on top and not be the loser. I will do whatever it takes to be trending while you are fake news. Right? Now, in Jesus' culture, how did you play that game? How did you worship the idol of up? Well, we get a snapshot of that right here. You did it by showing up in the right place at the right time and jockeying for position. So it's time for a banquet. And Jesus looks around the room, and what does he see the guests doing? Verse 7, they were picking the places of honor at the table. Where's the place of honor? Sitting closest to the, the place where the host will sit. So if you can imagine a table shaped like a U with wings running out here, the host is going to sit right here, right in the center. Everybody knows, don't sit there. But you want to be sitting here or here. So the thing to do is you walk in the room and try without looking too obvious to get as close as you can. Let me find the best seat. I want everybody to see. It doesn't count unless you see me being better than you. It doesn't count for me to sit at home and think I'm better than you. I have to show it publicly. Everybody has to see how much money I make. It doesn't count if I know what's in the bank. I got to buy a big old fancy car so you know how much money I make. And even if I don't make enough to buy that big old fancy car, I got to buy it anyway. So you'll think I make that much money. I got to find ways to kind of nonchalantly, casually drop into conversation the new promotion I got and you didn't get. I got to find a way to bring up the topic That proves my success. So what do you do for a living? So where did you go to college? That's the way we play the game these days. We don't do it by going to a dinner and sitting in the best seat. We don't care if we get a wing or a chicken breast at the Sunday dinner. It's, it's, that's not how we play the game of worshiping the idol of up. We play different ways. What do I watch? What do I listen to? I listen to cooler stuff than you do. I know all the end jokes. I know all the references that you're too lame to know. You're too old to know. I've read all the right books. I went to all the right schools. This is how we play the game. And Jesus says, I'm here to show you what this idol will really do to you and to your world, the first thing it will do is it will create destruction. If you want to worship the idol of up, you're going to have to destroy other people. That's what that God will demand of you. That God called up, called being first, will demand of you that you destroy other people. For one year in high school, uh, middle school, I lived in a state other than South Carolina. 
I'm going to withhold a few details here because I don't want to sound like I'm bashing anyone or any place, okay? But I lived in another state for a year. And I went to a school there that now I realize what I didn't understand then. It was a private school founded so that people who didn't want their children to have to go to a segregated, an integrated school would have a place to go. Every student, every teacher, every everybody who worked at the level of above custodian was white. One day, a group of guys standing out, waiting to be picked up after school. I'm standing out there with them, and a uh, car drives up. There's a new kid in the group. You know where this is going, right? New kid's already in trouble. You're already losing the game of up if you're the new kid in middle school, right? New kid's standing out there waiting to be picked up. New kid's car drives up. New kid's mom is driving the car. And there's someone sitting in the front seat beside her. An African-American woman is sitting in the front seat beside her. So the chatter begins. Hey, hey, who, who's that in the car with your mom? Huh? Why is she sitting in the front seat with your mom? Why would your mom do that? This is how the, this is how the worship of, of the God named Up works, right? In order to climb up, you've got to destroy somebody else. You've got to start proving in front of everybody else that you're better than the new kid you got to start proving in front of everybody else that because your skin is this color you're better than people whose skin is that color that's how this game works and jesus comes to us and says it will destroy other people if you play this game so let me teach you a new set of rules when you walk into the banquet hall you find the lowest seat that's where i'll be sitting Jesus says, you find the lowest place. I will be right there and I will keep you company. If you're the new kid or the black kid or the fat kid or the kid who dropped out of college or the kid who's grown up to have children who can't go to the schools that all their friends can go to, if you're losing the game of up, Jesus says, you come sit beside me. I lost that game too. I played the game of down. I left my father's side to walk into the house of a prominent Pharisee and have people question me about whether I know how to obey my father's law. The creator of the universe stepped into places where people would challenge his integrity. Where people would say, we know more than you do, new kid. You see what Jesus does? He never, he never takes away an idol without offering us something to put in its place. 
He takes away that idol that tells us being first is always best. And he says, put this in its place. Put me, a God who seeks the lowest place. That's something worthy of worship. Somebody who has that kind of courage, that kind of humility. Jesus is destroying this idol so that it won't cause us to destroy other people. The other thing about this idol is it will exhaust you. If you've played this game, you know it will exhaust you. You can never lift yourself high enough. I had a friend who's really fast uh, cross-country runner in high school. And in college, he was, you know, kind of middle of the pack. Um, so always trying to fight to be the fastest guy. And uh, never quite could break through. So um, one weekend in St. Louis, there's a new 5K that had never been run before. You know, a new fundraiser for a new charity, just the first year to do it. So it's a good year to go out and win a race because not many people know about it yet, right? It hadn't made it on the circuit. So my friend signs up to go run this race. And he's checking people out. You know how it works. Runners play the game of up. You look at shoes. How ugly are your shoes? You must be fast. You got real ugly shoes. So he's like, man, these guys don't have ugly shoes. Some of them are wearing basketball shorts. I'm going to outrun all these suckers. He takes off and first place at the two-mile mark. Can't see anybody else close to him. Problem. He's running so fast and the race is so disorganized, the people marking the course aren't out there yet. He gets to an intersection. He doesn't know which way to go. He goes the wrong way. He winds up finishing third. All the circumstances were lined up just right to be first for the first time ever. And it crushes you. If first is the idol, if you're worshiping the idol of up, it will crush you at some point. You will get so far ahead of yourself that it will begin to backfire. You might be the best player in college football, Deshaun Watson, and everybody's going to be saying, I bet you won't be any good in the NFL. He might be the best quarterback in the NFL. And everybody's going to be saying, didn't win as many rings as Tom Brady. He might be Tom Brady. And Tom Brady's saying, I know there's got to be something bigger than this. I just don't know what it is. Have you seen that interview he did with 60 Minutes a few years ago? The interviewer said, okay, there's something greater than this. What is it? What's the answer? And he said, I wish I knew. You can never lift yourself high enough. And Jesus is saying, let me set you free. One of the things that's radically wrong with this world is people want to be first. And in order to do that, they will put other people down. They will destroy. And I want to set you free. If you have been destroyed by people playing that game, Jesus wants to set you free. He doesn't want you to be treated that way. If you have treated other people that way, he doesn't want you to do that again. If you have been standing there with the middle schoolers heaping insults on the new kid and on the black lady 
And that shame is still with you. He wants to set you free from that. Jesus had come to destroy, to rip that idol to shreds. There's another idol that's closely related to this idol I'm calling up, and it's the idol called in. The idol of up is about being respected. The idol of in is about being connected. Who do I know? Who am I like this with? Who am I close to? We play that game too. We worship that idol. I want to be on the inside. I want to be one of the elites. I want to be one of the chosen few. When the important people show up, they look in my direction, not yours. I am on the inside. I am one of the pretty people. The people who have it all together. We worship that idol too. Can you imagine being the host of this dinner? Jesus sees all the guests doing their thing around the table. And he says, hey y'all, I got something to say to you. It's a parable. And in this parable, the host of the dinner represents God. So make sure that you don't worship this up idol. Because if you do, God the host will show up one day and he will put you in the down place. And he will find the people sitting in the lowest place and bring them to the place you want to be. So all of you guests, you're being boneheads. You need to heed the host. Can you imagine being the host of this banquet, kind of standing in the back of the room going, "Mm, yeah, you tell them, Jesus. You tell them. And then Jesus turns to the host and says, now it's your turn. (laughs) When you have a meal like this, you got to mix up your guest list. Because this is how you get to be on the inside. You only hang around with people who can help you get further inside. So stop. Stop inviting people who are just like you to your parties. Stop chumming it up with the rich guys, your relatives. Go to the outsiders, the people who will never find a place at the table because they won't even be invited to the party. How did Jesus describe those people? Verse 13, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. They will never invite you back to their party because they can't afford to have one. But you invite them anyway. I want you to be free from this idol of the inside. Why would Jesus want to free us from that? If you've ever played that game of trying to get more connected to become the insider, the elite, then you know how it hardens your heart. It hardens your heart because you start to see people in one of two categories. Either you are a tool I can use to get further to the inside or you are an obstacle I must destroy so that I can be there. 
if you've been treated like a tool. You thought somebody was befriending you. All they were doing was using you to get ahead at work. Or maybe you're the smart kid. And those guys who came over on Thursday night really don't like you. They just want you to help them cheat on the exam Friday morning. But Jesus doesn't want you to be treated that way. Jesus hates that game we play. He wants to set you free from being mistreated. And he wants to set you free from mistreating other people that way. From having a heart so hard that you would say, you know, I think if I invited you to my party, it would make other people think less of me. So I'm not going to invite you. You don't have enough money to be at my party. You're not wearing the right clothes to come to my party. Your skin's not right, not the right color. You don't live in the right part of town. You didn't go to school enough years to be at my party. You don't know enough cool new music to be at my party. Jesus doesn't want us to harden our hearts that way. When Patrick was in the sixth grade, he was getting ready to graduate, go to the seventh grade at another school. Every member of his sixth grade class gave a speech at the end of the year. So this is not one of those bragging daddy moments where I get to say, my kid gave a speech because he was one of the top three in his class. It's not one of those stories, (laughs) right? Everybody in the whole class got to give a speech, just to be clear. Okay? A couple of years earlier, we had discovered that Patrick has a learning disability, dyslexia. So Patrick was in a class. It was smaller, met in a different part of the building than many of his classmates. It's a class where fourth and fifth and sixth graders might meet together, not like the other classes. Because the students in that class didn't learn the same way as everybody else. Well, you know what elementary school kids are going to do in this scenario, right? So as part of Patrick's speech, he said, I've really enjoyed my teachers, really enjoyed my classmates. But some of you in this school were in the habit of saying mean things about us. It's a wonderful moment. Right where none of this is mean, nasty. He's just saying it very warm, open. Some of you made fun of us because we learn in a different way than you. And we don't like it. We want you to stop. It's just so clear, so courageous, so kind in the way he said it. Do you hear what he's saying? If that's what it takes to be an insider, I don't want to be one. In this world, to be on the inside, if I've got to beat up on people who are already crippled, if I've got to take things away from people who are already poor, 
If I've got to heap disrespect on people who are already struggling, I don't want anything to do with it. That's the kind of Jesus, that's the kind of world Jesus wants too. If, if to be an insider, I've got to stand there among my middle school buddies and make fun of the new kid and make fun of the African-American lady in the front seat of his car. I don't want anything to do with that. You see why Jesus is, is both attractive and repulsive at the same time? We see in him this vision for a world like that, and we hunger for it. We long for it, but it's so scary to give up all the idols. It's so hard to do that. I want it so much. It's going to hurt so bad. Jesus, I'm caught in this paradox, this tension. So when the car drove up that day at the school, the door opened. And as the lady who was in the front seat, it was one of those kind of late 70s cars with the real long doors. So to get in the back seat, you had to climb through the front door. The two-door, not a four-door, right? Probably not a cool car to own these days, but that's what it was, right? And... uh She stands up so the new kid could get in. Right as the door is opening, somebody shouts out, Yeah, who is that lady anyway? The new kid steps toward the car. He turns around and he says, She's my sister. And he gets in and drives away. I don't think she really was his sister. But what an incredible thing to say that. Jesus doesn't just come to earth and say, hey guys, you're playing some bad games that are going to hurt some people's feelings. I want you to stop. I'll go away now. He doesn't say take the lowest place. He takes the lowest place for us. He doesn't say, I want you to love outsiders. He becomes the ultimate outsider. He bears the shame, the ridicule, the scorn, the rejection of crucifixion. Being treated by his father as though he were the rebel when we were the ones. That's why we love him. He came to do those things for us. We're drawn to him. Following him will hurt. It will challenge us. Hanging out with Mama Grizzly will make you nervous. But if he gives you new life, you begin to want what he wants. You begin to love him more than you love the idols of your own heart. So, Luke is saying to us today, yeah, there are a lot of challenges, a lot of tensions in this gospel message. 
There are a lot of reasons why a lot of people want to reject Jesus. But those same reasons are the things that would draw us to him and make us hunger to have the same kind of heart he has, to make us hunger to live in the same world that he has a vision for, to make us learn a way of living that he had demonstrated for us in his way of dying. The invitation is open. If you want to set down those idols and start worshiping Jesus today, the invitation is open to anybody. Whether you're a guest or a host, a new kid or an old kid, the invitation is open. Put all your trust in Jesus.